So far this month, we have addressed the existence of God and the inspiration of the Bible, which leads us to the final pillar of Christianity, Jesus. In today's podcast lesson, Kyle Butt addresses the question, was Jesus a true historical person? Some claim that he did not truly live and that Christians follow a made-up religion with a blind faith. Is there evidence to prove the historicity of Jesus? Let's investigate what ancient historians and witnesses have said, including those that were hostile to Christianity. January 31st, the USA Today ran an article in which they showed a man who had sued a priest in Italy. This man sued a priest in Italy because the priest suggested that Jesus Christ actually lived. He sued this priest and said that Jesus Christ never lived, that the priest was lying, and that the idea that Christ was an actual person could not be proven, and there was no evidence to suggest that that should be something that should be taught, and certainly no evidence to suggest that that was something that is or was a reality. Sued a priest for teaching that Jesus actually lived. If I were to ask you, did Jesus Christ live? I dare say most of you in this audience and many of you who listen to this and watch this later would say, absolutely, Jesus lived. But if I were then to ask you, can you prove that Jesus Christ was an actual historical person, could you do that? There are many people today who are suggesting that Jesus Christ was not an actual historical person. A man by the name of Jay wrote us an email at Apologetics Press. And Jay said in his email of January of this year, he said, The real truth is you or no one else can prove there ever was a Jesus as described in the New Testament. All you have is blind faith and zero proof. Blind faith has made Christianity believe the Jesus nonsense. There is zero proof of a historical Jesus. Why keep lying like there is? This man wrote us in January. Just this week he wrote us back expressing his idea that Jesus never lived and that the only reason we suggest that he did is because we cling to a blind faith that is not substantiated by evidence. Is that true? Of course, Jay is not the only one who would suggest this idea. In the 1970s, a man by the name of John Allegro wrote a book, titled The Sacred Mushroom. And in that book, he suggested that Jesus probably never lived and that Christianity originated simply as a hoax by a secret cult whose original intent was eventually forgotten. John Allegro said, Jesus never lived. There was some little secret cult 
in the first century that got together for some reason that we don't even know the reason. Their original intent was forgotten. They concocted the story of Jesus Christ and that's why people believe in Jesus. They don't even know what the original intent of the cult was, but they've held on to the Jesus story. Of course, John Allegro and Jay and the others are not the only ones who would suggest that. A man by the name of Dan Barker in 1992 wrote a book titled Losing Faith in Faith. He was a denominational preacher turned atheist and in his book he suggested the gospel stories are no more historic than the Genesis creation accounts are scientific. It is rational to conclude that the New Testament Jesus is a myth. You could add his name to a long list and a list that is growing on a daily basis of people who would suggest that Jesus never lived. In her book, In God We Trust, but which one? Judith Hayes wrote, Just whether or not Jesus was an actual historical figure is the subject of much scholarly debate. He may have existed, and then again, he may not have. Are you seeing that the attack against Jesus is now coming in the form of suggesting that he never lived? There is a website that you can go to. The website has a trailer for a movie. The movie is titled The Beast. This movie was supposed to come out June the 6th of 2006, so it would be 666, referring of course to the number found there in Revelation. This movie is another attack on the historicity of Jesus. I want you to read with me some of the description about the plot of this movie. As you read, you see this description. When her father, a biblical scholar, mysteriously disappears, a Christian high school student named Danielle investigates. She discovers that he had stumbled across a cover-up of Christianity's best-kept secret, that Jesus Christ never existed. Now that she possesses proof of this dangerous fact... These people would suggest to us that it is a fact that Jesus Christ never existed. And then the description of this movie explains that diving into factual territory well explored by scholars but largely hidden from the view of the public. Who is the public? Well, you and I would be described as the public. Do you believe that Jesus actually really lived as a person? Well, one of the reasons you do suggest this movie is that you're the public. You're the poor, uneducated public. You see, there are scholars 
who have dug deeply into this evidence and the scholarly community understands that this is not a reality but those of us who are just in the public realm we are those who don't understand the fact that Jesus Christ never existed. That's what this movie would suggest but I am here tonight to explain that that implication is as false of an implication as has ever been stated. If there is a person who honestly dives in to the evidence that exists for the historicity of Jesus, and that person is going to follow that evidence wherever it leads, he or she will be forced to conclude that Jesus Christ was a historical reality, a man who lived in the first century in Judea and walked the streets of Palestine. Let me give you a few more of these individuals who are suggesting that Jesus never lived. This is a DVD. It's a website, a description for the DVD titled The God Who Wasn't There. A man by the name of Brian Fleming says, Jesus Christ is likely a fictional character, a legend never based on a real human. In a radio interview, the same man, Brian Fleming, said, I think it's probably correct that Jesus, in fact, never existed. He went on to say, once I started looking at the evidence, I became fascinated by the idea that Jesus Christ never existed, a fact that many people have never heard at all. Notice how Fleming and others describe the idea that Jesus never existed as a fact. What I would like to impress upon you is the idea that there are people who want you to think Jesus never existed. And the number of those people is on the rise. In fact, I believe that you will see more and more people who are suggesting that Jesus never lived, that Christianity is based on a mythical character, and that everything you believe and that everything you've been taught if you're a Christian is based on something that never had any historical reality. As we go through this discussion, we're going to ask the singular question. It's the only one with which we will deal this night. Did Jesus Christ really live? The way we are going to format the answer to that question, we are going to ask you to be a jury. We are going to ask you as much as you humanly and possibly can to set aside any prejudice or preconceived notions of the reality of Jesus Christ and to sit as an impartial jury and we are going to call several witnesses to the stand and we're going to ask the witnesses a single question we're not going to ask them was Jesus God we're not going to ask them did Jesus perform actual miracles those things will be discussed later in this series we're going to ask them a single question did Jesus Christ live? And when we present these witnesses to you, at the culmination of that, we are going to ask you 
to decide, to conclude, did Jesus live based on the evidence? Who are some of the witnesses we are going to call? Well, I certainly think we would be remiss if we did not call first and foremost to the witness stand the New Testament documents. There are 27 New Testament documents starting with Matthew, ending with Revelation. These documents are repeatedly filled with information about a man named Jesus Christ. The man named Jesus Christ was born in the city of Bethlehem, born in the area of Judea in the first century. These far and away have more information about Jesus Christ than any books ever penned. The question we are asking these books is, do you, the writers of these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and go down the list of Peter and James, do you say, that Jesus lived. Now that question I think is easily answered by any person who has ever read the New Testament documents. They are filled with statements that say, yes, Jesus lived. The next question then we would ask is, how reliable are the New Testament documents? You see, the skeptic would like to throw out the New Testament. The skeptic would like to say, oh, hold on, you can't use the New Testament to prove that Jesus lived because the New Testament speaks in favor of Jesus' life. Well, certainly it does. No question about that. Do the writers of the New Testament speak favorably about Jesus Christ? Sure they do. Do you toss out accurate authentic eyewitness testimony just because that eyewitness testimony might speak favorably for a defendant? No, you don't. The question of the accuracy of the New Testament document's testimony is not based on whether or not they speak favorably about Jesus Christ. The question is, are they reliable documents and how do they stand up when they're compared to other documents? And what you will quickly see is when you compare the New Testament documents to any other documents from the time that they were written, they surpass them in every legitimate way that you would ask a witness to present itself as authentic. Let's go through some of this information. If you were to ask yourself, what are some of the most famous historical books? Homer's Iliad would quickly come to your mind most likely. It was written in about 700 BC. The earliest copy of it, we don't know when we found it, but there are only about 643 manuscripts of the Iliad. If you were to bring to your mind the history of Herodotus, you may know that the man named Herodotus was called the father of modern history. He was one of the men who started documenting history as a factual experience and putting things down that were factual and not just how a certain king wanted them to be painted. His writings were from about 450 B.C. The earliest manuscript we have of Herodotus was 900 A.D., separated from his writing by some 1,350 years. We only have eight copies or eight manuscripts of Herodotus and yet historians refer to Herodotus on a regular basis. If you were to talk about Josephus and his work, the Jewish 
wars. You would understand that Josephus wrote the Jewish wars in about 70 AD or so. The first copies or manuscripts that we found of those were from about 400 AD, separated by 330 years. We have nine manuscripts of the Jewish wars, and yet historians don't hesitate to refer to the things that happened in the Jewish wars as historical. If you were to think about the histories of Tacitus, he was a Roman historian. We will call him to the witness stand personally later this evening. He wrote a book titled The Histories. He wrote it in about 100 A.D. The first manuscript we have of it is from 900 A.D. That's a separation of 800 years. And we've only got two manuscripts or so of Tacitus's histories. So what about the New Testament documents? The New Testament documents were written between 50 and 100 A.D. The first manuscript that we have, at least partial manuscript, is dated to 125 A.D., a separation of only 25 years, and we've got 5,700 and some 25 manuscripts for the New Testament documents. Regardless of whether or not you believe Jesus Christ ever lived, if you ask any honest historian this question, are the New Testament documents the most authenticated documents based on manuscript evidence? Do you know what they have to say? They have to say, yes, they're the best ancient documents that we've got. Not only are they the best in regard to the manuscript evidence, but you could call to the stand the early non-inspired writers. By non-inspired, I would suggest that those were the ones that their writings are not preserved in the New Testaments. Some people, New Testament, some people refer to them as the early patristic writers. These are people who would call themselves Christians from the late 1st century and early 2nd centuries. Maybe you'll recognize some of these names. Clement of Rome, Ignatius, Polycarp, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus. These men live from about 70 A.D. to about 200 A.D. or so. We have several of their writings preserved. In fact, copious amounts of their writings preserved. The interesting thing about the writings of the early patristic fathers is that those writings are filled to overflowing with quotations from the New Testament documents. In fact, they are so full of quotations from the New Testament documents, the eminent New Testament scholar Bruce Metzger said that the citations are so extensive that if all of the sources for our knowledge of the text of the New Testament were destroyed, they would be sufficient alone in reconstructing practically the entire New Testament. If you didn't have a manuscript, one of the New Testament, although we've got 5,725 or so, and you just took the writings of the early church fathers as they are referred to, you could piece together the entire New Testament from the quotes in their writings. What does that mean? That means that the New Testament was written prior to 200 A.D., prior to 150 A.D., prior to 100 A.D. when these men lived. If they could quote a scripture, that scripture had to be written before they quoted it. If you were to ask any honest scholar, is the New Testament more 
authenticated by citation in the early patristic writers than any book, anytime, anywhere. Do you know what they have to say? Yes. Secondly, when you ask the New Testament documents a historical question, if you can check it, whatever the New Testament documents say is always right. Let me explain what I mean. If the New Testament documents make a geographical statement that a man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, if you go check the elevation of Jerusalem and Jericho at the time that the statement was written, Jerusalem is higher than Jericho, exactly as the statement down from describes. If you want to know what the capital of a particular region or district was, and the New Testament documents tell you what the capital was, if you go back to the time that it was written and you can find some archaeological evidence, guess what always happens in every single case? The New Testament documents are always right. If they say there was a pool in Bethesda and you dig long enough, many times you will find the exact pool of Bethesda that the New Testament documents wrote about. There has never been time, and please understand this, that any person has asked the New Testament documents any historical question where they have proven the New Testament documents to be inaccurate in any geographical, political, sociological, any type of statement. So, you've got documents that are better attested than any ancient documents in the world. You've got documents that have never been proven wrong in a single instance. And you've got documents that mention Jesus Christ on numerous bases and in numerous places. The New Testament documents are the most powerful witness to the life of Jesus Christ. They cannot be gainsaid, and any honest scholar has to admit that they are the most authenticated and the most accurate documents that we have. But, they're not the only ones. If you didn't have the New Testament documents, and I would propose that you could make a case for the historicity of Jesus based solely on the New Testament documents, but if you didn't have those, are there other places that you could go and ask other witnesses whether or not Jesus Christ lived? Sure there are. In fact, you could call the Talmud to the sand. Let me explain to you a little bit about the Talmud. The Talmud is a collection of writings by the Jewish rabbis. The part of the Talmud that we're going to read was a collection of the Jewish rabbinical writings from about 70 A.D. to about 200 A.D. And in this Babylonian Talmud, we are told on the eve of the Passover, Yeshu was hanged. Now, let's stop there just a minute on that word Yeshu. Yeshu is the Hebrew spelling of Jesus. On the eve of the Passover, Yeshu, or Jesus, was hanged. For 40 days before the execution took place, a herald went forth and cried, He's going forth to be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and enticed Israel to apostasy. Anyone who can say anything in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. But since nothing was brought forward in his favor, he was hanged on the eve of Passover. What would you expect to read from Jewish rabbis who despised Jesus 
and who thought that he was pulling Jews away from the teachings of Moses to apostasy. What would you expect to read from Jewish leaders who were responsible for killing Jesus? I believe this statement that you see in the Babylonian Talmud is exactly what you would expect to read from a Jewish community that was responsible for crucifying Jesus. Explaining that there was a man named Jesus who was hanged on Passover Eve the same time factor approximately that you read in the New Testament. You read that he supposedly practiced sorcery in the New Testament documents. What was one of the allegations that was made against Jesus Christ? He cast out demons by the ruler of demons, practicing sorcery. This is the exact idea, exact type of statement that you would expect from a Jewish community that was well aware of the life of Jesus Christ. Of course, we can call other people to the stand, and we will. I would like to call to the stand a man by the name of Josephus. Josephus was a Jew who fought in the Jewish army against the Romans, but he, during his fighting, was captured by the captain Vespasian. Vespasian later became the emperor, and Vespasian exalted Josephus to a place of prominence and allowed Josephus to write the history of the Jews. In his book, The Antiquities of the Jews, Josephus made this statement. He said, Ananus brought before the Sanhedrin a man named James, the brother of Jesus, who was called the Christ and certain others. He accused them of having transgressed the law and condemned them to be stoned to death. Notice several things about Josephus' statement. Number one, I want you to understand Josephus was not a Christian. Josephus was not a follower of Christ. You read very little about Christ in Josephus' works. But in this instance, you read that Josephus documented there was a man named James. Now notice the focus is not on Jesus in this passage. The focus is on James. But James was the brother of who? Jesus. When you turn in your New Testament documents to Mark, I believe it is chapter 6 verse 3, you read a series of brothers that Jesus had and one of those brothers was James. And notice what else this statement says by Josephus. He says, Jesus who was called the Christ. Why would Josephus explain that James was the brother of Jesus who was called the Christ? I would say that there is only one reason why he would do that. Because he is documenting the life of a historical person, Jesus Christ. He also wrote another statement about Jesus. This is a little more lengthy passage. Josephus said in book 18, chapter 3, verse 3, or paragraph 3, And there arose about this time Jesus, a wise man, if indeed we should call him a man. For he was a doer of marvelous deeds, a teacher of men who received the truth with pleasure. He led away many Jews and also Greeks. He was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross on his impeachment by the chief men among us, those who had loved him at first did not cease. For he appeared to them on the third day alive again, 
the divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now the tribe of Christians so named after him has not yet died out. If you're reading this, there are probably some things that come to your mind. One of them is, why does Josephus paint such a vivid, encouraging picture of Jesus if Josephus was not a Christian? There rose about this time, Jesus, a wise man, if indeed we should call him a man. He was the Christ. He rose again. Many wonderful things the prophets had spoken about him. The skeptic looks at this passage and he says, well, hold on just a second. That passage is filled with information that Josephus would not have put in there. He says, those things are Christian interpolations. Somehow the Christians got a hold of Josephus' works and they changed his words and they added all this favorable stuff about Jesus. This isn't really from Josephus' pen. That's from the pen of a Christian. And you can see how obvious that is when you read, He was the Christ, or if indeed we should call Him a man. Is it true that we should disregard the statements by Josephus as a Christian interpolation? Well, number one, the skeptic has a very serious problem. And that problem is, those statements are found in every single manuscript of Josephus that we have. There's no textual reason why you should take those statements out. In fact, all of the manuscripts have those statements. There's nothing that looks like it's been erased, nothing that looks like it's been added. The burden of proof would be on the skeptic, and the skeptic can't show us a single reason other than, oh, I don't think Josephus would have written that. Could it be that Josephus was writing what was commonly held as a belief during his day, even though he might not have believed that? Sure. There are numerous examples that we could give of historians who documented things that were believed or that happened that they didn't necessarily hold to themselves, but someone did at the time and they wrote them down. That could be what Josephus was doing. Why else should we accept the statement of Josephus? Because Josephus mentions several other Bible characters in passing and nobody's got a problem with them. For instance, the passage about John the baptizer. Now some of the Jews thought that the destruction of Herod's army came from God and that very justly as a punishment of what he did against John that was called the Baptist for Herod slew him. Now, why doesn't the skeptic run to this passage and say, well, hold on just a second. This passage says something about John the Baptist. He was a Bible character, so obviously Josephus can't be writing about him. Herod was a Bible character. Well, you see that in passing, Josephus mentioned several Bible characters. Jesus Christ being one of them. And thirdly, suppose that you grant that some of that material is Christian interpolation. I'm not going to do that because I don't think there's any reason for that. But suppose that you do. Suppose that you say, okay, let's throw out all of the questionable passages. If indeed we should call him a man or he was the Christ. And let's just read it without those passages. What do you get out of the statement? And there arose about this time Jesus, a wise man. Stop right there. What's the one question we're asking the witnesses tonight? We're not asking if Jesus was the Messiah. We're going to get into that later. We're asking a singular question. Was there a man named Jesus in the first century? 
that coincides with the character of the New Testament documents? Certainly. Josephus says there was a wise man. Continue with me. He led away many Jews and also Greeks. Now if Josephus were totally favorable toward Jesus Christ, do you think he would have mentioned that he led away many Jews and Greeks? Led them away from what? The implication here is he was leading them away from God or at least from Moses to something else. Continue with me. Pilate had condemned him to the cross on his impeachment by the chief men among us. And even now the tribe of Christians so named after him has not yet died out. If Josephus was writing favorably about Jesus Christ, totally favorably, why would he call Christians a tribe? Why would he mention that Jesus was crucified during Pilate's time in office? Throw out all the stuff that's supposed to be Christian interpolation, what do you still have? A statement that answers with a resounding yes, the question, was Jesus a historical person? But that's not all we have. I'd like to call a man by the name of Tacitus to the stand. You will read the entirety of Tacitus's writings and you will find precious little in regard to anything that has to do with anything in the New Testament documents. In fact, Tacitus deals mostly with Roman history. He was a Roman historian. That's why he wrote. He wrote to detail and document what was happening in Rome during his lifetime. He lived from about 55 A.D. to 117 A.D. He wrote the annals in about 190 to 100 A.D. In that section, he was writing about the reign of Nero. Nero supposedly had started a fire, and that fire had destroyed some 10 of the 14 districts in Rome at the time. And suspicion was that Nero himself had started it. Nero was trying to say it was an accident. He was trying to blame it on other people so that the masses wouldn't get angry at him. So he focused on the Christians. And he said, oh, it's those Christians. They're the ones that started the fire. They're the ones that we should be tormenting. So he did, started capturing several of the Christians, doing terrible things to them, wrapping them up in animal skins, throwing them into the gladiatorial rings and letting animals rip them apart, putting them on poles and covering them in wax or oil and using them as lamps to light his gardens at night. Horrible things Nero did to the Christians. Tacitus writes this in regards to the actions that Nero did against the Christians. He says, Nero fabricated scapegoats and punished with every refinement the notoriously depraved Christians, as they were popularly called. Their originator, Christ, had been executed in Tiberius's reign by the governor of Judea, Pontius Pilatus, but in spite of this temporary setback, the deadly superstition had broken out afresh, not only in Judea where the mischief had started, but even in Rome. Tacitus, are you a friend of the Christians? That notoriously depraved band of misfits? No. Tacitus, what's the standpoint from which you are writing? Well, I'm a Roman. How do you document things? I document them based on the Roman people in power at the time. 
Look at this statement. Tiberius' reign. Why is that important to Tacitus? Because that's who was the emperor of Rome at the time. Pontius Pilate. Why is that important to Tacitus? Because that's the Roman official in charge of Judea. Tacitus, are you telling me that there was a man named Christ who existed during the time of Pontius Pilatus' reign during the emperorship of Tiberius? Absolutely. Tacitus, you got any respect for those people? No. No respect. And in fact, they're notoriously depraved and what they believe is a deadly superstition. I just want to ask Tacitus a single question this night. Not do you believe that Christ was the Son of God. Not do you believe that Christ came to save you from your sins. Just a simple question. Was Christ a person who lived in the first century? Tacitus, will you answer that for us, please? Yes or no? Yes. Continue with me. I would like to call a man by the name of Pliny the Younger to the stand. Pliny the Younger was the governor of Bithynia. He was writing back to the Roman emperor Trajan. He wrote his letter in about 112 A.D. And in that letter he was having a problem. His problem was he was killing a bunch of Christians and he didn't want to. He was bringing Christians before him and he was asking them if they were Christians and they would say yes. And then in the letter he explains that if they said it three times then I killed them because they wouldn't offer a pinch of incense to the Roman gods. But he said, I don't really like this policy. They're, they haven't done anything other than they're just called Christians. So he writes back to the emperor Trajan and he says, what do I need to do with these Christians? And in that letter he says, They, the Christians, were in the habit of meeting on a certain fixed day before it was light when they sang in alternate verses a hymn to Christ as to a God and bound themselves by a solemn oath not to do any wicked deeds. Pliny wrote the name Christ three times. He wrote the term Christian or Christians seven times. Pliny, you got any reason to lie about the existence of Christ? No. Pliny, do you believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God? Certainly not. Pliny, do you believe that a man named Christ lived in the first century? Absolutely. Continue with me. A man by the name of Lucian was a vehement enemy of Christianity. In fact, he mocked the entire Christian system in his book, The Death of Peregrine. But in that book, he wrote this. The Christians, you know, worship a man to this day, the distinguished personage who introduced their novel rites and was crucified on that account. You see, those misguided creatures start with the general conviction that they're immortal for all time, which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver that they are all brothers. From the moment that they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws. Lucian didn't have a thing good to say about Christians. In fact, he thought they were gullible. He thought they were misguided. He thought they were naive. But you know what else he would stand before you tonight and say? Oh yeah, they followed a crucified sage who lived in Judea in the first century. Is it the case that Jesus Christ lived? If I were to ask you this night... What year is it? You would quickly respond that it is 2007. 
And then I would say, 2007 what? 2007 A.D. A.D., of course, coming from the Latin term Anno Domini, which means in the year of our Lord. B.C., of course, the time that started before A.D., meaning before Christ. Our entire calendar and our whole time structure is based on the fact that there was a man named Jesus Christ who lived in the first century. If you were to ask any honest-hearted, truth-seeking scholar or member of the public who has seen this information, did Jesus Christ live? Do you know what they would be forced to conclude? They would be forced to answer with a resounding yes. Did Jesus Christ ever live? Absolutely, positively. 